to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Richard Angelo. Richard is a legislative attorney for Best Friends Animal Society. His focus is on Best Friends' work with community cats and promoting legislation that will humanely and directly reduce the killing of cats in shelters across the country. He also focuses on Best Friends' work to regarding ending the killing of all companion animals in shelters across the country. He was previously a sole practitioner with an office in Davison, Michigan, focusing on companion animal-related matters and litigation, including defending dangerous dog matters, consulting on alternatives to breed-specific legislation, ownership disputes of companion animals, zoning and ordinance violations regarding companion animals. Richard has spoken on community cat-related matters, dangerous dog laws, and breed discrimination at numerous national, regional, and local events across the country. He has been a member of the Animal Law Section of the State Bar of Michigan since 2001 and has served as a council member of that section since 2009. He is a vice chair of the American Bar Association TIPS Animal Law Committee and co-chair of the International Law Section Animal Law Committee and member of the National Animal Care and Control Association. Richard resides in Goodrich, Michigan with his wife, five dogs, and three cats. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So you have a tremendous background as a sole practitioner, as well as your work now with best friends. But tell me first about what's, how did you develop your passion for animals? Uh, my wife and I have always been involved in animal welfare in our communities. And I was lucky enough, started to spread out in my private practice, uh, dealing with primarily pit bull type dogs. And one dog came across, uh, the email listserv I was, I was a part of and his name was Cola and he was not doing well in a shelter and he was going to be a victim of breed discrimination. And I ended up jumping into that feet first and uh, the rest is kind of history. And by the end of when I left private practice in 2015 to work for best friends, about 80% of my, my practice was animal related. Wow. And I, I would assume it's a lot of it would be uh, breed legislation and, and pit bulls and some dog stuff, but it also sounds like you've gotten involved with community cats. What's the work that you're doing with community cats at this point? Well, toward the end of my private practice, I started to get involved helping caretakers who were running into local disputes with uh, municipalities with their either their trapping or whatever it might have been. Local ordinances started to affect what they were doing, and they started reaching out to me, and it, it interested me. And I got very lucky enough to see an ad for, at the time, it was a community cat initiatives legislative attorney with Best Friends Animal Society. I applied. And now I get to sit and talk dogs and cats all day long um, and, and work about community cats nationwide, which I tell my boss all the time, give me pit bulls any day of the week because community cats, it's a very divisive sometimes issue and 
very difficult to deal with because the issues are always wide ranging depending upon where you're at. Well, that's very interesting that you say that because I would, I'll give you those pit bulls because I would be much happier talking about community <laughs> cats and, and dealing with, I, I guess, you know, the, the typical phrases that I, I shouldn't be saying, but I guess I will say, you know, the dealing with the, the crazy, crazy feeders and the, and then the crazy legislators or the, the crazy council people. And I mean, everybody's crazy in there in the package. And so I always just figure, well, we're just all happily crazy together and we have to come out with something at the end of the day that will benefit our all of our strange, odd, and dysfunctional cats that we take care of. I think you said it much better than I did. That's, <laughs> I, that's exactly what I meant when I was saying that. Sometimes I'm fighting with the people who are actually trying to help the cats. We're trying to help them understand better what can be done. And it, the issues, depending upon where you're at, you're either fighting with legislators or wildlife organizations, sometimes with our own tribe, which works out very well sometimes, actually, because it's an educational opportunity for both myself and and people on the other side as well. Right, right. I always try, and I, I've said this many times, many many of my listeners have heard this multiple times, but, you know, in the shelter, you, you it's about conflict and conflict resolution. And, you know, people would be like, oh, well, you have to clean a cage a certain way. And I would be like, well, no, you know, we all brush our teeth in different ways, but the important part is making sure that those teeth get clean. So we have to focus on our objective and be willing to accept some differences as long as that objective at the end of the day is is where we all want to end up. Oh, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. So I'm a big fan of always trying to think about workarounds. You know, some people's hands are tied because of certain rules, but yet that's not their own personal intention or desire. So we all have to be very creative in some in an environment where we would think we wouldn't necessarily need to be. But I've been lucky enough in New England, the community cat laws have actually been quite non-existent. And so we've been lucky in that way because I felt as our programs developed, we didn't have an ordinance holding us back or, you know, something from that range. And I, I, I feel that there are some communities that have tried to be proactive, but they've really ended up potentially hurting themselves in the long run because the ordinances have may have had been done with the best intentions, but they're they're not really as impactful as they should be. So if if there are folks that are out there advocating for new legislation, what sort of advice would you give them? Well I think you just gave up my A number one advice. Sometimes the, the best alternative is no ordinance at all because then you're putting restrictions on, on what might be able to be done or admitting that it can't be done in the first place. And a lot of times, I, my first choice in many cases is going to be have no ordinance at all. Um, other than that, then you start breaking it down from state law to you know, county law to municipal law, depending upon where you're at. That's the big challenge in my job, but it also makes it very exciting. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that... We look to legislation as needs to be more of a, you know, protections for the severe situations. But we also in our communities need to lead by example and that then those examples become part of our common community behavior. So one thing that I've spoken about quite a bit is, is by, you know, making TNR 
just common practice. It's not something we have to teach people about. We don't have to educate folks on it. It's just, it's the way things are done. So make it part of our common language. And therefore, you don't need an ordinance to protect it. It's just, it's the way things are done. Is that being naive? I think since TNR is becoming so much more, I don't want to say mainstream yet, but it, it probably is. Mainstream is probably the right word. I think more people are jumping to the ordinance, wanting to have an ordinance that allows it, because for some reason they think that it might not be allowed. I, I really don't fall in that category a lot of times, because I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'd rather be able to say, it, it's TNR. TNR is the way we're going to humanely reduce um, and control the community cat populations across the country. What else is out there that will do it? So it should be our our kickstand, if you will. That should be what we fall on every single time, regardless of what the ordinance says. Right. So are we nervous that there's going to be the one bad apple in the community that says, you know, the the owned cat from next door killed the bird in the bird feeder, and therefore that's why all outdoor cats can't exist and all the community cats need to be removed and euthanized? Is that why we need ordinances to protect from like the one person that might not necessarily understand the bigger picture? I think that's one of the needs for an ordinance, yes. Um, Sometimes those protections are needed, depending geographically where you are. If you're right next to a wildlife preserve, then there are protections that need to be put in place. I, I will be one of the first to admit that, but we are seeing what you're talking about very much. So um, the attack on community cats from opposition, uh, I've heard you discuss them on your show, and certainly we hear them all the time when we're talking about TNR in, in communities. So if those groups, people, want to raise the opposition, then one of the ways we can certainly defend TNR is through uh, drafting of ordinances or, or regulations and policies. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the work, uh, the statement that, that you had shared with me from the American Bar Association and, and how that developed? Oh, absolutely. It was a resolution. It's resolution 102B. And it was the American Bar Association adopted this resolution last uh, September, September of 2017. And it actually... It's a fairly simple statement, but it urges state, local, and uh, other governmental agencies to interpret their laws and to adopt new laws that allow the implementation and administration of trap or vaccination. This was a project that was taken on by the Animal Law Committee of the, it's called the, the American Bar Association. It's very bureaucratic, bureaucratic. So we have the American Bar Association, and under that, it is a section called the Tort Trial and Insurance Practice Section. And within that section is the Animal Law Committee, of which I'm a member. And that committee took up this resolution, drafting it and pushing it through in, I want to say it was November of 2015. So it was a long-term project. And um, myself and Joan Schaffner, who is a law professor at George Washington University and a member of the Animal Law Committee and an absolute rock star with community cats. So it's um, uh, she and I 
uh, drafted the resolution and then had it edited by numerous, numerous people with their input. And uh, we worked and lobbied our way through the American Bar Association and finally got it in front of what they call their House of Delegates last September. The House of Delegates, is, it looks like uh, they sit in a big room at the annual bar meeting and they vote on some of these types of resolutions. It was one of the first national, credible, non-animal welfare-related organizations that uh, adopted something like this. So it was truly, truly exciting when it happened. Yeah, that's great. And we'll share the link in the show notes so that folks can um, access this statement um, because, you know, it, it power in words, even though there might not be a lot of words, it's still very powerful. And I could foresee... I would certainly add this as another piece in my toolkit of convincing any community or or anyone really that TNR is the way to go for community cats and that this just brings a lot of credibility and power to any sort of advocacy you're doing in your own town. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. So with that said, do you want to share with us some of the more about the work that you're doing with best friends? You know, what's, what's a typical day, typical day like for you? <laughs> is there, is there one? <laughs> um, the typical day is starting the day with a plan and realizing that that plan is not going to go as as you made it up first thing in the morning. So we're always jumping from one thing to the next. Right now we're hot and heavy at the in the middle of the legislative season for most legislative session for most of the state legislatures. It's starting to wind down, but we monitor uh, through our advocacy team that at Best Friends between us, there's about eight, eight, eight members of the advocacy team. We monitor... It was, this year was about a thousand bills nationwide in various subjects. I tend to stay with many of the community cat issues just to follow and see what's going on at the state levels. If we have to get involved in opposing or supporting bills across the country that might be good for animals and shelters, community cats specifically, that's what we do through uh, contacting legislators, helping them draft good language for community cats to go into legislation at the state level. Unfortunately, some states like uh, Hawaii, we tend to we tend to be opposing practically everything that they work because it's not very community cat friendly there, uh, at least at the, um, the legislative level. I do also a lot of reviewing local ordinances. We get involved with our network partners across the country. Uh, shelters and, and other animal welfare agencies in helping them develop good policies for community cats in their communities or writing laws for them, uh, appearing, uh, probably going to be appearing in Michigan tomorrow at, at a uh, township board meeting because we were asked to do that. So we really dig in on our advocacy team at the, at the local levels 
we want to support our networks, our the network uh, partners that we have who are working on the ground in, in communities just like ours. So, and Michigan, you're in Michigan, you have a organization that seems to be quite dedicated to having Michigan be a no-kill state. Is that is that a something that that you are participating in? I mean, what what's it like for community cats in in Michigan at this point in time? There are some communities in Michigan that are very very progressive with uh, their community cat programs. Macomb County uh, of Michigan, which is just north of Detroit, has a great community cat program that they're working on. I, I live just north of, of just outside of Flint, Michigan, and there we just got a low cost spay neuter clinic, which, as you know, is probably usually the first hurdle we have to jump into to get um, going with community cat programs. So. Um, we're very excited to have that. I think there are a lot of communities that are lagging behind behind in progress in Michigan on the community cat level. We do great with dogs uh, across the state. Cats um, tend to be uh, put down on the second tier because no one's really thinking about them. But I'm proud of change. I'm going to ask you sort of a um, visionary question, if you don't mind, since you are able to be in the balcony and you're in, involved with many, many different states and, the, and that kind of thing. You know, we've been very focused on data collection and, you know, Best Friends has an initiative to be no-kill by 2025. So that definition about no-kill, and several months ago, I wrote a, an article about, you know, is no-kill now a metric, not a movement? You know, we we use that 90% figure as the, the tipping point to define success versus failure to a certain degree. But for community cats, they're not statistically really represented much anymore, you know, in that statistic from the standpoint, if you have a return to field program, uh, those statistics are are shelter only. They're not representing sort of what's happening out there in the streets and in the community. Do you feel that there is a community cats 2.0 out there that can help us better define, you know, what are, what a, humane community looks like for our, our cats? You know, what defines, when are we there for those cats? Well, I am lucky enough to work with Peter Wolf, um, who provides me all the data analysis I could ever possibly use. Um, and we always say community cats for uh, shelters across the country, that's the low-hanging fruit. Almost, I, I think the figure is still north of 7% of cats that enter nation shelters are are killed and they don't leave alive. The easiest way to cut numbers immediately for uh, shelter killing is to implement community cat programs. And we've seen that with some of the large scale programs that uh, Best Friends has worked on across the country, uh, Albuquerque, Baltimore, um, Columbus, Georgia, Pima County, Arizona. We see life-saving um, in our three-year programs, immediately increase. Um, Albuquerque, I believe, was from the year we started, they were killing approximately 63% of the cats that entered the shelter. And uh, now they're saving 90% that entered the shelter. So getting those community cat programs started where cats are not even entering the shelter, as, as you say, through return to fill programs, it's so key in, in saving lives. So I 
really, really, that's, that's the really exciting part of my job is I can see immediate results in areas that I'm working on. Right. Yeah. Cause you'll, you, by being involved in multiple different states, uh, you'll be able to identify the, uh, the sort of the black hole areas the you know, resource deserts yes. of a variety of different resources, usually the, the largest being a lack of spay neuter access or affordability. Those issues are really critical for pretty much any area dealing with community cats. And I've said this before many times too, which is cats are really pets of the poor. As your income level goes down, the number of cats you have go up. So you need to we need to understand and address that in a way so that our funders will understand that we need special programs for cats in these communities and I, not that I'm against dogs in any way shape or form but I do feel that there's a lot of cat only programs out there that could be developed to make us even more impactful for cats out there oh absolutely and you know the more data we can get in areas that we go the better it is I we have such a great data team at Best Friends. They've been covering all 50 states, trying to gather up the data, calculate it, and for our No Kill 2025 effort. And you, you see those black holes that you're talking about. You almost immediately see them uh, when you start taking a look at the data and putting it into some kind of reasonable, readable database that you can take a look at and say, oh my goodness, here in the southeast, the southeast portion of the state of the country is, for cats, it's a terrible place uh, in the shelter. So. so if you were a community cat volunteer, you had an organization in an area where legislation was not particularly friendly, you had mentioned Hawaii, and there are certainly other parts of the country that have some challenging legislation going on. What sort of advice would you give that organization or those individuals that really want to practice TNR but may not necessarily be allowed to do it on the books? I think first opening the dialogue with your local animal shelter, the municipal shelter is key, as well as your municipal leaders in that area. Open up that dialogue and let them know what you want to, what you want to partake in if you haven't even started the program yet. Come armed with good data. There, there is data out there. I, uh, I know that uh, there are some studies that are being printed or being published recently that provide a lot of ammunition for uh, participants of TNR and return to field to go to their local leaders and show them, look, this has worked in Newburyport, Massachusetts. It's, it's worked all across in these different areas, Cook County, Illinois you'd be able to show them different geographic success stories. And we're starting to see more and more of that. So opening the dialogue is first and foremost. And being able to provide good, solid data, as well as being reasonable in your ask to legislators is going to be very key in getting things moving. And stay engaged with them. Let them know um, how things are working as you move along in the program. In your position with Best Friends, what's your greatest challenge? The greatest challenge is, is the diversity of problems that we deal with. Uh, because in one area, I might be dealing with some uh, cat licensing issue or a feeding ban in a different area or uh, state laws that prevent return to field or TNR right off the bat. 
you never know, depending upon what situation um, uh, they're, they're putting me into, what is the problem I'm going to have to deal with and what tool am I going to have to pull out of the toolbox uh, to be able to deal with that particular situation. And luckily, I, like I said, I, I get to work with Peter Wolf and I have like six other wonderful minds that I can bounce ideas off of when we get involved in these issues. So, um, and from all around the country, it makes it a little bit easier. But the challenge is always, how are we going to address this particular issue? So if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing, the work at Best Friends, any programs that you might be offering to help guide and advise folks in their communities, where would they look? Our website, uh, bestfriends.org. And also, if they want particularly to be involved in our, our legislative initiatives, they can sign up at bestfriends.org backslash action. They can get emails uh, about things that would be happening in their geographic area only. So if you're in Massachusetts and you want to know what's going on, sign up and you'll only get things going on in Massachusetts and your uh, local community bestfriends.org is the best place. I can be reached at richarda at bestfriends.org too if you want to email me directly. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think we covered quite a bit. Uh, I would love for everyone to go and take a look at the Animal Law Committee of the American Bar's website for that resolution. It also has a 10-page report that was attached with it that covers some of the basic issues that we hear when we're talking opposition to TNR. So you'd be able to use and download that report as well and take a look through. And the one little piece that I'd like to share with our listeners is I've had several people reach out to me and say, well, I just can't do anything for community cats because of this ordinance or this legislation in my community. And I really want to encourage folks to really think around the box, outside the box, to really continue to advocate and pursue alternatives for cats because there are ways to always help cats. You can't just give up. There are always ways. And whether it's reaching out to someone like Richard to get some advice, some guidance, assistance, that's a path, but don't don't walk away from the cats. There's always a way to get them help. So Richard, I want to thank you again so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I uh, hope we will have you on again in the future. Thank you very much. I, I enjoyed it, and I certainly would like to be back. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to hear from you what the Community Cats Podcast means to you. You can now leave a recorded testimonial on the Community Cats Podcast website and share your thoughts about the show. You can also ask questions, share show ideas, pretty much anything you want. Just go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the testimonial link and record. You hear from me all the time, and now I want to hear from you. Thank you. Ah!